Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome everybody to Screen Talk. Uh, this is the post-Eric Cohn baby edition. Uh, he has he is the happy father of a little girl. We have as uh, our special guest this week Ryan Latanzio, who um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take credit for discovering Ryan Latanzio. He was he was a mere babe out of Berkeley when he went to tell me about tell us about the very first time that you wrote for me, Ryan. Uh, well, the first time I wrote for you, uh, that began when I worked at the Pacific Film Archive. Um, at the University of California, Berkeley. Um, and uh, we were connected through uh, Meredith Brody, um, who used to be a food critic for, I believe, SF Weekly. Um, and she also wrote about films for you when um, you had your Thompson on Hollywood blog. It was literally the day after I graduated, I was going to Cannes. And um, she connected me with you. And so I wrote a Cannes Virgin Diary while I was there. Um, I remember I reviewed Cosmopolis, which probably was very pretentiously written. Um, uh, yeah. And then from then I came back to L.A. And from there, we kind of uh, got back in touch. And, you know, the, 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 the rest is really uh, history. We're going to look at the new Oscar batch. You and I sat next to each other at, at, in Westwood for being the Ricardos. And I um, went in, like a lot of people, I think, with low expectations, let's say. And there's something about the casting of Nicole Kidman as uh, Lucille Ball or as Lucy in I Love Lucy that gave a lot of people pause in the trailers for the movie. And so when I saw the film, I was impressed, actually, by her performance and uh, the difference between the behind-the-scenes Nicole Kidman uh, playing Lucille Ball and the very brief little snippets of recreations from I Love Lucy, which I think she nailed really well. Um, and then there's, uh, of course, Javier Bardem as uh, Desi Arnaz, and he is fantastic, I think, and, and does all the things he needs to do. And of course, it's an Aaron Sorkin movie. It's written to the T. It's very behind the scenes back in the 50s. And, and the whole idea is that there are three incredibly dire um, problems hitting the Ricardos in one week. And they have to deal with her being accused of being a communist. Uh, they have to deal with the fact that she's about to have a baby and they want to convince the network to let them do that on the air, uh, not have the baby, but be pregnant, or even have the word pregnant uh, be used on uh, television. And then the other thing uh, is is that the marriage is under duress because uh, Lucy's quite, Lucille Ball is quite concerned that her husband is not being faithful to her. So these three things are going, colliding, and it's pretty intense. Um, so I really liked it except for one thing. 
And that was these flashbacks. The idea of going even further digitally into the past to get the young uh, Lucille Ball and the romance with um, Desi Arnaz, that was not working for me. How about you, uh, Ryan? In these flashback scenes, she's supposed to be, well, she's she's moonlighting as being 34, right? But she really is 39. And, and even that is kind of hard to buy. Um, I think even the weakest Nicole Kidman performance, um, and this was probably stronger than her work in uh, Nine Perfect Strangers on Hulu recently. Uh, even the weakest Nicole Kidman performance is still better than a lot of other actors, right? Um, and she's played real people before. Obviously, Virginia Woolf in The Hours, which won her an Oscar. Deanne uh, Arbus in Fur, which I think is very underrated. But I would say that this is maybe one of her weakest biographical incarnations. I, I guess because I felt like there is an ebullience that... Lucille Ball uh, has when she is Lucy um, that's kind of lacking in these scenes that take place within the actual show, right? Even though we don't get so many of them. I think that Nicole is more successful as the off-camera version as Lucille Ball uh, in sort of the what is the present day of the movie in the 1930s. Um, I, I will say that this device of showing the uh, machinations in Lucy's Lucille's head of when she's imagining how a scene could be redirected or reimagined um, I think those were really interesting, uh, you know, which is to say that the film is probably most successful for me when it's grounded in a realm of fantasy as opposed to the Sorkinian reality. So I, I definitely thought this ended up being more successful than not, but um, the actors at the screening obviously responded to it really well. And uh, I suspect that in the Oscar race, we will see Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem uh, uh, in the lineup. Um, because they, uh, it's just the kind of thing that actors respond to. I mean, he uh, has to do the bongos and the performing and all that stuff on, in addition to playing uh, Desi Arnaz. Pe yeah, people were really going insane in that room <laughs> for that movie. And um, my friend who my bride is my plus one, I, at one point I looked at her and was like, are we watching the same movie that <laughs> everyone else is in here? It was very, dis I don't know, it was very dis much disassociating. I mean, it just... It did feel kind of like the kind of Oscar bait movie that I kind of didn't really miss last year during the much indier Oscars. I don't know if you would agree with that or not. No, it's Oscar baity. It is. Uh, but per perhaps what we're suggesting here is that it's going to play better for an older audience than yeah. a younger one. Not and not for the critics either. Yes. And the critics yeah. are not going to be as kind uh, as the actors are. Uh, but we have a lot of movies like that this year. Um, House of Gucci is another example of something where I saw it at a screening where the actors were going nuts for, for Lady Gaga and for Jared Leto, and I'm sure, I, I'm more confident that Leto will get nominated than Gaga, um, but it's it's because that's a pretty competitive category, and Kidman may have just gotten in ahead of her, um, in my view. Uh, what do you think? I think that may be true. I, I feel that um, Gaga's star might be falling a little bit in this Oscar race. I mean... There was just that story coming out of the dialogue coach saying that her accent was more Russian than Italian or whatever it was supposed to be. Um, and she's doing all kinds of interviews where she's talking about how she's puking and she's convulsing and she's like having mental breakdowns on the set of and the movie. Some and there's kind all... of hideous trauma from her past that she's right. channeling. Right. And it all feels very overwrought. And it's just like, it feels like very conspicuously, like she is gunning for an Oscar, which, you know, she may be deserving of. Uh, uh, to me, that movie, I felt like um, 
everyone was in a different film. And I, other people have said the opposite, that, that, that they think this whole ensemble was working in concert, but it felt like Adam Drum, Driver was doing serious drama. Lady Gaga was kind of straddling camp and drama. Al Pacino was just Al Pacinoing, which in some ways was the best <laughs> part of the movie, he's right? Very good at yes, which he is very good at. And Jared Leto, uh, I don't know. On I guess that's planet. on another planet, not at all interested in trying to harmonize with the other performers. You know what I mean? Like he is just completely doing his own thing, and it's something that, like you said, actors tend to really. Uh, relish they like, they like scene chewing um and they respond to it and it's it's interesting because there are several performances this year if we look at the actor actresses for example olivia coleman a beautiful naturalistic performance i think it's very big i think it's very subtle and very um uh, it's i think it's perfection but that doesn't mean that 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 the uh you know or or whatever tessa thompson's doing in passing these these are quieter performances that aren't as showy and so in in the oscar race it's often true that showy uh wins out over subtle unfortunately no i i agree with that and i think of course unfortunately you know tessa thompson might not make it in for that reason whereas olivia coleman has the added bonus of having won for the favorite having been nominated for the father she's obviously beloved um i think those those things could work uh against her but or i mean for her but like you said like best actress is a very competitive category this year so then you have jennifer hudson in in respect which is big and showy and singing and you know channeling aretha and uh the very big dramatic uh moments that occur in that movie that that give her a chance to show what she can do as a dramatic actress so she she should get in there and jessica chastain is an interesting one because i was looking at the metacritic <coughs> reviews and i noticed that um uh, the Eyes of Tammy Faye is not one of the best reviewed movies of the year, as we know, and it's in the 50s. And usually you need to be, you, you can be a good actor in a bad movie and get in. Uh, someone like um, uh, Renee Zellweger, for example, and Judy uh, prevailed, even if the movie itself didn't get great reviews. Uh, but it helps. It helps to have good reviews uh, if you want to be in, in, a, in a very competitive field. So I'm curious to see if it's Gaga or Chastain, right? I would vote for Chastain over Gaga in, in terms of a real, very uh, carefully uh, wrought um, performance based on a real person that is is showy but isn't um, there's something you feel sympathy for Tammy Faye and you feel no sympathy whatsoever for the character played by Lady Gaga oh no no not at all and you know Jessica Chastain could benefit from the fact that she's an overdue star even though she's better than the movie um, and I think that's sort of key here um, you know, I'm trying to think of like, uh, obviously she's not at this level, but someone like Sandra Bullock winning for the blind side, way better than what the movie was. Right. Um, so that, you see. know, that is, that, that is still possible. But the fact that Eyes of Tammy Faye was not well received, uh, you know, that could leave her out in the cold when it comes to the final five. Hmm. Okay, so the other movie we caught up with this week was Licorice Pizza, the Paul mm -hmm. Thomas Anderson, long-awaited, uh, finally titled <laughs> movie with these two great discovery performances from Alana Haim 
and Cooper Hoffman, the son of the late Philip Seymour Hoffman. And it's a lovely, lovely uh, coming of age story about an older woman and a younger man. Uh, did you like this one, Ryan? Oh, yes, yes, I loved this movie. And I, I even liked the, uh, the sort of uh, nonchalance with which it treats this relationship between the younger man and older woman. Um, and I, you know, there, there's really no bad Paul Thomas Anderson movie, and this may not be, you know, be one of my most favorites. Um, his movies tend to consistently blow my mind. And this one, did, I wouldn't, I wouldn't apply that term to this one. And I think maybe that was so, what was so radical about it, because it was so, you know, it was so loose and unpretentious and unrestrained. It's beautifully um, uh, small. That's what I liked about it. And it, he, he, here's what happens to a lot of big directors. They chase uh, the break, the breakout. They chase the movie that's going to be revered and loved and praised that's bigger than their other films on some level, uh, whether it's through some kind of visual effects thing or, or some narrative device. or it, it, There's some way that it's going to be more intense or more amazing to make it break out. He didn't do that here. He went the opposite way. He went into something small and delightful and pleasurable and sweet. And, and you're right. It, it has a, a kind of casual quality to it. Mm -hmm. But there's and, amazing and, shots and sequences in there. No, they are. I mean, especially the sequence where uh, Alan Heim is uh, out of gas driving this rent this rental moving truck. And she's, I mean, obviously, I'm sure it's not Alan Heim actually maneuvering it. I'm sure they have a wonderful special uh, or stunt team. But, I mean, this is a really, like, spectacular, iconic sequence of this car going uh, down, downhill, uh, and then only to find a crazed Bradley Cooper at the bottom of the hill. And actually, I think that his performance was, you know, the, the movie has several kind of vignettes. There's this Sean Penn of it all playing a sort of William Holden spin. Then you have Tom Waits. But I really think in terms of those actors, those kind of cameos, Bradley Cooper completely stole the show in, in those moments. Now, he was amazing as John Peters. He was hysterical. Um, and she was, all right, let's talk about her. Um, uh, our mutual friend, Nora, that is my daughter, <laughs> who's you, who you've known for a long time, was explaining who she is to me. Um, tell us tell us who, uh, Haim, give me the chance to mispronounce something and I'll do it. Uh, tell, tell, tell us about her. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it is Haim. And she is one of a trio of pop rock singer-songwriters that, um, I don't know. I think I started hearing about like 10 years ago. Um, you know, they're, they're a tight -knit, tight knit Jewish family. They live in the Valley or they're from the Valley, which these are all things that fascinated Paul Thomas Anderson evidently because um, for since probably their second and most recent album, he's directed almost all of their music videos and they all have a very sort of PTA cinematic touch to them. You know, they're all shot on film. They're all on location in various iconic moments in LA. Um, and Heim sisters, um, I feel like they just kind of catapulted to a new level of success with their most recent album, Women in Music Part Two, which they released during pan the pandemic. And I would say for a lot of people, like along with Taylor Swift Folklore or Fiona Apple Fetch the Bolt Clutters, this was kind of a quintessential lockdown album. Um, and this is her, uh, this is her screen debut. I mean, obviously she's been in these music videos, but he obviously saw something in her uh, 
specifically and, and plucked her out of the trio, even though all three of them do appear in the movie, as do their actual parents, as is revealed by the by the end yes, credits. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So the two sisters are older and and uh, and more more musicians. Right. Yes, that's right. So he saw her. Uh, he saw what he could do with her as an actress. And she just she just owns it. She owns the screen every moment that she's on there. She's intense and she's smart and, and she's also vulnerable and, and she's sexy. And the, the relationship between her and the younger uh, guy is so fascinating because there are these sequences where they're running where they're running at each other. A lot of running in this movie. <laughs> yeah. And in, in these sequences, they're running to save the other person. And each one has a different uh, opportunity to do that. And it shows how much they actually care about the other person. And so there are these barriers to their romance, ma mainly age, which is what you always need in a romantic comedy. Um, and, and, and so you're rooting for them to somehow uh, get together. People seem to think there's something icky about this. I, I really didn't respond with any uh, concern about it. I didn't get that at all. I mean, if they think this is icky, like, have these people seen Red Rocket? Like, I would say that that's <laughs> that's a bit more problematic. But that that one has no one's questioned that. So, um, but he's a, now, he is a character who is depicted uh, the kid. All right, so the character in Red Rocket, played by Simon Rex, who is fantastic um, in the role of uh, of a sort of ex porn star who who's who's trying to start his life over um, in in. in <laughs> He, in a Texas, uh, you know, uh, backwater, um, he falls for a young girl, but he's so obviously depicted as a bad guy, as someone who is, is irredeemable, um, that we're not surprised when he misbehaves. Yeah, it's interesting because the screening I saw that in, I didn't get the feeling that people thought he was so bad. Um, no, he's lovable. I, this is what I'm trying yeah. to say about Gaga. You can have characters who are reprehensible, but there's something about the actor who plays them that draws you in and makes you root for them, despite you know the fact you're rooting for him to be redeemed and do the right thing is what you're rooting for. But with Gaga, I never cared about. No, that. I never cared. I no, I, I just assumed she was the one who got offed. You know, um, <laughs> I didn't really care about anyone in that ensemble and that ensemble. Um, and to your point about licorice pizza, I, I, you know, I, I don't I don't feel like the movie especially it doesn't celebrate this like kind of transgressive, possibly questionable, you know, age gap romance. And there's no like there's no, they're not having sex. I mean, it's it's all it's all fairly innocent. And, you know, for I mean, look, I'm, I wasn't born in the 70s, but I mean, it seemed like. It was a it was sort of a freewheeling period and that so that yes, that I aspect seemed that seemed like period accurate. <laughs> um, so I I made a, a wisecrack on Twitter about how um, how much I really appreciated this movie, whether or not it was in the Oscar race. It would definitely take critics to push it into the Oscar race. And they may very well do that if the New York film critics, for example, were to say that Alana Haim was the best actress uh, candidate. Mm -hmm. I don't know that they will, and I don't know that they should. And I think she's an extraordinary discovery, and it doesn't matter if she gets into the Oscar race, but that's what would have to happen. No, and if you, even if you look at the release strategy for this movie, you know, it didn't play any festivals. It's just going to play in New York and L.A. for a, a month before going wide in December. I don't 
the Paul Thomas Anderson doesn't care about Oscars, you know, and you know, maybe attitude is what might get, what might wind up making it more appealing as a as as an Oscar contender. But but you're right, it would take a New York film critics or LA critics. I mean, I feel like those groups are, are gonna give this movie something. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I would like to argue for it, uh, definitely for for screenplay. And I suspect that um as usual, Aaron Sorkin uh will wind up um in that in that race. Mm-hmm. Um not so director though. No, 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 no. No yet. <laughs> No. <laughs> yeah. No. And that was a, by the way, being the Cardos, let's just call it, it, it is a high degree of difficulty to pull that off for anybody. Um, and he made some definite errors in judgment yeah. along the way. So, um, does, um, but this brings up a whole question of, of, you know, Spencer has opened and Belfast has opened and King Richard is opening this week and Power of the Dog is opening this week. And of course, um, I suggest to someone like Nora that we look at a uh, go to a screening of, of Don't Look Up and and she's like it's going to be on Netflix. And it's like why would I go mm-hmm. to a screening? It's going to mm-hmm. be on Netflix. And there's such an attitude right now. I hear it among my grown-up friends too. You know, the idea the older senior types that that they don't need to go to the theater. They don't need to go out anymore. It's there's just so much fabulous stuff to watch online and it does bring up the question of these sort of modest very modest art house performances um not necessarily bolstering uh the oscar contenders the way they used to no that's right and i mean the, the power of the dog has just opened probably no one's going to see that in the theater that's coming to netflix it's in so two weeks beautiful. it is so beautiful and and the thing about that movie too is that it's a slow burn and i've had people who've gone to screening say, wow, it's kind of hard to get into in the first 30 minutes, which, so if you have that on Netflix, people are going to turn to the next thing, you know, like I think people are going to turn that one off. Captive in a theater for that one. Mm -hmm. But people don't want to be, that's asking too much of a lot of people. It's upsetting to me that this is the way it's going. Of course, this is the way it's going. But the other Mm -hmm. thing is that even King Richard, which is a populist entertainment, uh, you know, it it would have been, I can see, I saw it play with 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 an audience, Belfast too. Both of those movies are crowd pleasers. You know, and, and they would have been really bolstered by box office. And it's just sad to me that, you know, that that won't happen for them. No, no, it's, it's it is unfortunate. You're a cinephile still. You still believe in the theater. Oh, I, I do. And I've seen I don't know, I've probably seen like 50 movies since theaters reopened. I mean, that was bolstered by everything I saw at the New York Film Festival. But um, no, I am a regular moviegoer. And my friends, I think that once were, I don't, I don't know anymore. You know, most of my friends have maybe gone one or once or twice and once was the bond movie. And they all said it was too long or they saw it at AMC and there were too many trailers and too many advertisements, which is true. When you go to AMC, you, you have to endure at least 30 minutes of all of that. And so these are forces that are all working against it for people. Um, you know, I just, I, I, it's now it's become difficult for me to talk about like the current cinema with my peers in a way that it used to be, even people that I think were really well read in film. Um, I'm talking about movies like the worst person in the world or even Titane and they just they have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, so I think that it's unfortunate that theaters being closed for so long and the conversation kind of being muted for so long because of that, it really kind of put a, you know, 
put a damper on things. One thing that does give me some hope, though, is the idea that reading subtitles is no longer a thing, right? If you're watching Netflix and you're watching Squid Game, which is the most popular series they've had in a really long time around the world, you're you're reading subtitles. Although some people listen to the the cat the uh, dubbed versions. No, I think for that, I think for that show, there seems to be overall a preference and a reverence for reading the subtitles because there's so much that you miss when uh, something is dubbed in. I mean, I've never. I, I, the only things I've ever watched dubbed in English are Dario Argento movies where the original Italian doesn't exist it's anymore. Anyway. <laughs> it's really bad. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. You know, Nora was watching Squid Game last night. Uh, she was catching up with it with the, this is what people do with, with the uh, dubbed version because she wanted to do other things at the same time. Uh, this is what people mm -hmm. do when they're home. That this is the freedom that watching at home gives you. Um, so we've got some screenings looking forward. You, you must be set up for Don't Look Up, West Side Story, Nightmare Alley. These are the last stragglers. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, West Side Story is the same night as the Gotham Awards here in New York, which I have to cover. <laughs> so I won't. So I'm fine seeing that at a later point. I am not. I am not frothing to see West Side Story just because I'm not personally that big of a musical person. Um, although last night on the plane back to New York, I watched Funny Girl, which I oh got a kick out of. <laughs> hold up. Yeah. Um, I don't remember not that a, being such a good movie. <laughs> no, it's definitely not a feminist tale. And it definitely, no. <laughs> it definitely, it's like, it's, as we talk about two and a half hour long movies. It was almost two hours and 40 minutes. And it, the first 90 minutes are delightful and a bullion and there's plenty of singing. And then it just like kernels into lead and melodrama about how Omar Sharif's character is like a gambling addict. So yeah, that, that didn't hold up super well. Um, all of this is to say, yes, we have these three big movies to come. It's just, and then, which it's hard to believe. It just feels like there are so many contenders and films this year. It's, it's, it's kind of overwhelming. No, it's interesting going on. Did you see Tick, Tick, Boom? No, I didn't see Tick, Tick, Boom. Okay, that's, I that's plan to, musical. but I think I'm going to see it on, Net, you know, as Nora would say, I'm going to watch it on I'm Netflix. I'm going to see it on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and The Harder They Fall is on Netflix. That one's yes. really good, the mm -hmm. Western. Um, now, Tick, Tick, Boom is interesting because there have been so many musicals, right, um, that have somehow not quite captured a wider audience. In the Heights, I thought would do better than it did. Uh, also, Lin-Manuel Miranda, based on his show but directed by john chu and then you have um tick tick boom which is directorial debut and he does a really good job with it it's solid um but i can't help but think it's a niche audience in other words uh lin-manuel miranda fans and broadway fans and right and jonathan larson friends who are fervent there are there are many of those Nora i i I was one of those. Oh, Nora and I, we've done karaoke many times. Um, <laughs> I, I, I am, I wouldn't say a lapsed rent fan, but I don't actively listen to it anymore. But there was a time in my life, yeah, where it was, it's probably as a closeted theater kid, there was a time in my life where it was extremely important to me. So, yeah, yeah. so I, I, I will watch Tick, Tick, Boom with much pleasure on Netflix. Speaking of which, Andrew Garfield should be uh, nominated for that. I, I could see that happening. Uh, if you think about the target demo of the Academy Acting Branch, uh, that's a big, over-the-top, dramatic, heartfelt singing performance, and and they will in fact and and a surprise from Andrew Garfield um, that he can do all of those things, so that that could could be helpful. It's interesting that they're putting Ansel Elgort 
into uh, the junket for West Side Story. He has some issues yeah. that they're going to have to somehow face up to and contend with. I don't think he will be a best actor contender, no matter how good he is in the movie. No, no, there's no way. And even in the marketing of the film, their favorite I was exactly. Yeah, I, I was still surprised by how much we saw of him in the final trailer. But yeah, whenever that that was, what was that, 2020, all of that stuff's at least on Twitter. Before the pandemic, right? Before the pandemic. That'll all come up again on Twitter, but will it matter in the real world? I mean, these are very different places. Yeah, so. It was high school era for him um, and uh, old, old uh, accusations. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, and then Nightmare Alley, of course, Guillermo del Toro, we're very excited about, and Shape of Water was a Best Picture winner, and uh, many people loved uh, Pan's Labyrinth as well. Um, this one looks very film noir, very old Hollywood film noir. And I'm curious to see if it's the kind of movie that might appeal to a wider audience than cinephiles. That's the question mark. Something like Last Night in Soho, the Edgar Wright movie, mm -hmm. didn't go wider like a horror movie. It played, it seemed to have played much narrower as a cinephile movie, and that's a smaller audience. Yeah, I mean, that one didn't score well with critics, and I don't know that it played really well for a lower brow audience, you know? It kind of just, kind of just, kind of just flopped in the middle. It's called um, a tweener. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> What was your take on last night in Soho? The first half was exceptional and has such energy, but then when it devolves into this slasher, this Me Too kind of slasher movie that's indicting nostalgia, and while it's also trying to apologize for the misogyny of the past, uh, and I felt like, Diana, this is Diana Riggs' last role, really. Um, it was hugely disappointing to me. I mean, I think that he's a really talented filmmaker, but... Um, the, the screenplay, um, which he co-wrote with Christy Wilson Cairns, who was nominated for 1917, uh, was a little bit schizophrenic for me. Uh, that's, that's valid. So we're looking at the uh, documentary um, field. It is so, so large. There are so many movies, but there are a few that are starting to uh, emerge as the, as the front runners uh, that might end up on the shortlist. So we, as we all know, the shortlists are coming up in December. There will be a voting period between December 10th and 15th. Um, and then they will announce this whole long list of, of, uh, of, of shortlists for uh, all, you know, uh, score and song and, and uh, foreign film and documentary among them. Um, so the IDA nominations came out and the Critics' Choice doc winners were announced. And it really looks like Summer of Soul is coming out as a real front runner. Did you get to see that one? Yes, yeah, I saw that um, over the summer on Hulu and um, you vastly enjoyed it. <laughs> And and then that is the one that I think the that's most an people have seen. To be able to see these movies and see yeah, you know that's like that's like the my octopus teacher of it all. Right. You know, it was like the most widely seen movie. Um, I think the documentary category is no longer this rarefied, um, and you know, situation where you're getting these movies that nobody saw. And Free Solo was also very accessible to people. You know, those directors aren't going to win again right. for the rescue, but um, no, I mean there's. They're Nat Geo. So Nat Geo puts, puts these things out in, in uh, 
Becoming Cousteau. That'll be another one that people can see on Disney Plus about Jacques Cousteau, which I love. Looking at this list of the best feature nominees, there was one film that I was really um, pleasantly surprised to see on this list that's not going to get nominated for an Oscar, which is um, Wojnarowicz. Uh, I'm not going to say the rest of the title out loud, um, but it was a um, Kino Lorber release from earlier this year about um, the artist David Wojnarowicz, who died of AIDS in the mid-90s, but was this really transgressive mixed-media artist who began uh working in the 1980s uh and you know really politically charged work that didn't really get appreciation until after his death and it's one of those documentaries about an artist where the where the form of the documentary evokes sort of the spirit of the artist that it's trying to capture which i really appreciate and so it really is like a, a strong cinematic piece it's not an oscar contender but i was you know I was happy to see that included among the Ida nominees. Other movies that are that seem to be getting a lot of attention include uh, Procession, um, which is about uh, men who were abused by Catholic priests who reenact in fictional ways, dramatic ways, uh, their experience. Um, and there's a movie called Faya Dei, which is an extraordinary black and white uh, evocation of Ethiopia and the the chat. Uh, uh, trade there um, from a first-time filmmaker named Jessica Bashir. Um, I really like In the Same Breath from Nanfu Wang, uh, Wong from uh, China, uh, which is uh, a COVID documentary, uh, very extraordinarily done. Um, and and then there's Ascension, um, Jessica Kingman, which is a, a, a extraordinary visual evocation of the scale of China and, and the new wealth in China. Um, these are really worth seeing. Yeah, we talked, I mean, we talked about this the other day. There's definitely going to be some kind of COVID documentary slot in this category because yeah, there were like a number. A last wave and no, the same breath. No, yeah. no. And, and Nan Fu Wang is, is overdue and, and deserving. Um, and that movie is really powerful. And that's another movie where um, a lot of people I know that don't normally watch documentaries or watch films, you know, texted me about it. Have you seen this? And really disturbed and, um, you know, provoked them. Um, so I think there's, even though that released a few months ago, straight on HBO Max, um, I still think there's going to be a further conversation about that one along the line. So thank you for joining me, and I hope to have you back. All right. Thanks for having me, Anne. Great to talk to you. Okay.